everything is gone. What do you do? Habakkuk says, even though all of this, and we'll look at it in just a minute, he says, I will rejoice, I'm going to stay. He, he, he doesn't decide that God is not in control. That might be some of our possibilities, right? We slide back and it's like, oh, God is obviously not in control because if God was in control, he wouldn't let this happen. Habakkuk says, no, God is still in control. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. Back at chapter 3 this morning. looking at the last three verses here in just a moment. And as we end this series, we're starting to see Habakkuk's faith shine in the darkness. Because when we were introduced to him, he was confused and had many questions. He, he could not align what was happening around him with what God's people were doing and, and with God's response, or in Habakkuk's mind, the lack of God's response. You ever have a hard time reconciling what you see with what you know? Sometimes those two things do not line up. And when they don't line up, I would guess that more times than not, we're like Habakkuk. We fall down on the side of what we see rather than the side of, what we know. Habakkuk knew that God was righteous. Habakkuk knew that God would not forsake his people. Habakkuk knew the compassion and the mercy of God and that God was a God of justice. He, he knew that, but what he saw was wickedness and evil and unrighteousness, and he's trying to reconcile the two, and he just can't do it. The power of what he saw and the power of what we see sometimes is more powerful than the power of what we know. And so he comes to God and he starts to complain to God. Remember, we saw those first two complaints, and you might would say in those complaints, his, his faith is, is wavering. Not sure which way he's going to go. Sometimes we're like that too. We see and we know, and, and we're kind of we're straddling it, right? We're straddling what we're going to do. Last night, as I was praying for our kids, I've told you many times, have a calendar for each day I pray a certain thing for the kids. Last night it was spiritual stability, that you're not tossed and turned by the world and what you see. And you kind of see this in Habakkuk. He's being tossed and turned because he doesn't know what's going on. But by the time he gets to the end of Habakkuk chapter 3, that's, that instability has been done away with. Because now, instead of focusing on what he sees, he's allowed what he knows to have power over what he sees. 
his faith maybe at the beginning. He was faithful. He was a prophet, so he had some faith. I said a couple weeks ago, it was like a nightlight. It, it was all right to get him through the room. But by the time we get to Habakkuk chapter 3, we see his faith shining in the darkness like a lighthouse shining out over the sea in the middle of the night, guiding sailors from miles and miles in. Habakkuk is doing the same thing. Doesn't mean the chaos isn't there, but he's shining his faith into the chaos. I like the way, I think it was uh, J. Vernon McGee, if y'all have ever heard J. Vernon McGee through the Bible. He put it this way, and I like it. He says, Habakkuk begins with a question mark and ends with an exclamation point. Because he goes from questioning God to emphatically stating his faith in God. And so this morning, uh, I've kind of played with the title and titled it, how, how to Move Your Faith from a Question Mark to an Exclamation Point. Because let's be honest, we got a lot of question marks. But the question is, how do we get to the point where we're the exclamation point? And we're going to notice four ways this morning. But first, let's see what Habakkuk says as he finishes up his book. Verse 16 through 19. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fell, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments, again, which is that unique uh, inscription at the top where we say that this is probably a song to be sung. So what do you do? Let me give you four ways to respond to help you move from a question mark faith to an exclamation point faith. And the first one is this. We wait for God even when things are frightening. We wait for God even when things are frightening. You read verse 16. You do not have to have any great insight to recognize that Habakkuk is afraid. His body is trembling. His lips are quivering. Rottenness is in his bones. He is afraid. Why? Well, we know that the, the Chaldeans are coming, the, the brutal people who are coming to, to carry off the Israelites into captivity, and that's enough to make him afraid. But beyond that, what has shaken him to his core is not completely the Chaldeans' arrival, more, but it's more the arrival of God's judgment. That's what has him in this state, because the, all of chapter 2 was about God's judgment that is coming. And so when Habakkuk starts his prayer in, in chapter 3, he is responding to what God has revealed to him is coming. And it's God's judgment. He talks about it in, in, in chapter 3. You know, it's coming like pestilence. It, it's coming where he will scatter the mountains. It, it's, it's coming uh, where the, the curtains of the land of Midian tremble. It's the, the, the anger of God, the wrath of God is coming. And this has installed fear and trembling to Habakkuk. 
He, he has come to a place where he is humbled now before God's authority and recognized that God is in control, that God is still working. He's been silenced. Right? Remember, his last complaint was he was going to complain some more. But here now, he has said, I, I, I've, I've heard it, I know what's going on, I'm, I'm, I'm submitting myself to your plan, God. But even though I do that, even though he submits his plan, he says, I'm afraid. Verse 2 of chapter 3 talks about he, he's, he's trembling. And here again, his whole body is trembling. The judgment of the Lord causes people to tremble. It is a fearful thing. And so Habakkuk is, is frightened by this. And one of the things that he focuses on, if you look in verse 16, that second line, it says, My lips quiver at the sound. God's voice has caused him this great fear. You go to Psalm 29, you read Psalm 29, it talks about the voice of the Lord. His voice over the waters, how His voice is powerful, how His voice is full of majesty, how it breaks the cedars of Lebanon, how it flashes forth flames of fire, it shakes the wilderness, it strips the forest bare. God's voice comes to Habakkuk and it causes him to quiver, quiver. Everything in him just melts before the coming judgment that God has spoken to him. And so he's greatly afraid. Now, we talked about this this morning in, in our Sunday school class. What do you do when you're afraid? And we looked at the story of Abraham going down into Egypt the first time where he turns to his wife Sarah and says, look, I know you're a beautiful woman. Pharaoh's going to want you. So just, just say instead of you're my wife, tell him, tell him you're my sister so that we will live. So here's Abraham and he's afraid. And what does Abraham do? Abraham decides he'll come up with his own plan. He runs ahead of God. However, when we read Habakkuk, we see that's not what Habakkuk does. It says that he will wait quietly for the day of trouble. Now, I find that amazing. Because the day of trouble is the evasion of the Chaldeans. And he says, I'm just going to wait. They had trouble to come upon the people who invade us. I'm just going to wait. <laughs> I'm not waiting. I'm up on the watchtower praying. I'm, I'm scurrying down my ladder. I am running through the towns, the villages. I am trying to find every able-bodied person who can fight. Get your sword, get your bow, get your arrow, get your pitchfork. I don't care. If it's sharp, get it. If I had any political power uh, or any connection to the royal court, I'm going up to the king and say, hey, look, you've got to make treaties with other countries to come to our aid, and then later if the Chaldeans come upon them, we'll come to their aid. If it was up to me, knowing that the country is about to be invaded, knowing about I'm about to be taken out into captivity with a hook in my mouth, I'm not waiting. I'm going to do something about it. Habakkuk says, I'm just going to wait. I mean, it's, it's antithetical to my way of thinking. Maybe it's not yours. Maybe, again, you're more godly than me. Yeah, God, I'm, I'm here. I'm waiting. Here's the problem. And it's the problem that we saw with Abraham. When God tells you what his plan is, and you don't like it, 
and you try to run in front of God's plan, it always ends up in failure. You're not. Abraham goes down and, and, and he gets in trouble. Pharaoh gets in trouble. Everything gets in trouble. Later on, Abraham does it again, right? I'm going to give you a child. <laughs> I'm too old. No, God, I'm going to be too old when the, the promise of the child comes, so I'm going to have a child now. He lived for strife and contention for the rest of his life. I mean, the, the biblical stories show what happened when you run ahead of, of God. Moses strikes the rock. Water comes forward, and we're thinking, well, good, now the people can drink. That's not what God told Moses to do. Moses doesn't enter the promised land. How about Peter running ahead of God? Surely, God, surely, Jesus, you're not going to the cross. No one's going to take you. You get behind me. Jesus looks at him and says, no, 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 you get behind me, Satan. See, our, our, our tendency when we're afraid is, is to run ahead of God's plan. Especially when God's plan is frightening. We, we want to fix it ourselves. Greg asked this question, well, why do we do that? And my answer was simple, self-preservation. <laughs> I don't want to die. I don't want that to come to pass. So I, if I'm Habakkuk, I'm rallying the troops. I'll even take Gideon hiding in the threshing floor. Give me the weakest. I don't care. Just give me somebody. Let's go. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging, right? Habakkuk says, no. I'm going to wait on the Lord. We wait on the Lord to move. Isaiah 28.16 says, Whoever believes will not be in haste. We're content to wait on the Lord to move and work according to His plan. It's hard. We don't like it. It's difficult. We, we want it to change and, and, and change now. But we wait. And as we wait, it, it's not a mark of unbelief. It's actually a mark of our belief and acknowledging that God is working and that He's working His plan. And so we wait on Him even when we are afraid. Number two, we recognize. We recognize God is in control even when everything fails. With the coming invasion, everything that Habakkuk knows is going to be taken away. Remember the descriptions of the Chaldeans where they march in and, and they take all the people and they come for violence and they gather captives like the sands. They laugh at the fortress. Uh, they, they destroy. Uh, we saw where they, they plow through Lebanon and destroy the nature and they kill animals and, and, and they take everything. I mean, they're just, they're just wicked people who destroy everything in their wake. What do you do then? What, what, what do you do when everything you know is about to collapse? I mean, Habakkuk even spells it out. He goes, the fig tree is not going to blossom. There's not going to be any fruit. Uh, the olive is going to fail. The fields are yield no food. The flocks cut off. There's no herd in the stalls. Everything is going to disappear. 
And when we read that, I think we read those five items, and yes, it's all food or, or, or produce-related, field-related, and, and we kind of think of it just as food. But it's so much more than that. It's everything. From the, the It starts off with like the, the luxury items, right? the fig tree, because you use the figs and they make fig cakes and sweets and stuff. All right, we don't have to live with sweets. We can... We shouldn't live with sweets, but thank you everybody for the M&Ms the past month. Um, right? We, we, we can do without that. There, there's no fruit on the vines. Okay, oh, okay, well, I know we use the, the, the fruit to make juice, but, but we, we got water. We, right? And, and then it gets to just the, what you need for life. There, there's, no, there's nothing. The fields are yielding nothing. So we've gone from you know, the extras, the nice, to the necessities, and there's no extras, and now there's no necessity. So the means of survival is completely gone. But it's everything. If there's no crop of olives, it's not just that there's no olives to eat, there's no oil to burn. There's no oil to take with the figs to make the fig cakes. If the flock is gone, there's no milk. There's no cheese. There's no wool for clothing. If the herd is gone, there, there's, there's no meat. There, there, there's, there's no nothing. Food and clothing, what they need to survive is gone. He says it's all gone. Everything I know has failed. But you know what else? is going to fall in that. When you read that list, and it talks about the oil, and it talks about the fields making bread, and it talks about the herds and the flock, where else did Israel use some of those things? They used it in the temple, didn't they? They used it as a means of worship. They used it for their sacrifices, for their feast days. So worship is gone. Everything is gone. Israel, God's people, everything is being ripped from them. Everything has, is going to fail. It's not just that they won't have any food and they won't have any clothing or anything like that. They won't have now a place to worship because what God has prescribed to them to take the burnt offering into the temple, to take the oil into the, the temple to worship, is gone too. They can't worship now. Everything is gone. What, what, what do you do? What do you do? Habakkuk says, even though all of this, and we'll look at it in just a minute, he says, I will rejoice, I'm going to stay. He, he, he doesn't decide that God is not in control. That might move some of our possibilities, right? We slide back and it's like, oh, God is obviously not in control because if God was in control, he wouldn't let this happen. Habakkuk says, no, God is still in control. And I wonder at this point in time if Habakkuk thought about Jeremiah 29.1. Now, I know what you're going to say, Gary. You've told us that they didn't have a chapter and verse notation at that time, so he didn't think about Jeremiah 29.1. But he and Jeremiah were contemporaries. And a lot of times when we feel this way, we go to Jeremiah 29.1, right? It, it's our favorite verse when people embark on a new stage of life, right? Every graduation. Every Christian graduation gift is covered in this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans for welfare and not for evil. Right? We, we, we all know that verse. We all uh, memorize that verse. We, we know it. But do you know the context of that verse? The context of that verse is the same context of Habakkuk. Jeremiah is writing to people who are about to be taken into captivity. Right? This isn't the people standing on the edge of the river about to come into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. It's just the opposite. It's, it's what's happening here. You're going into captivity. And so when Jeremiah writes that, he is reminding them and reminding us today that even though sometimes we may forget God or, or things around us are failing and, and judgment is coming, that God does not forget His people. Because when they get in the land, nothing is going to look like it did in Israel. The temple isn't going to be in Babylon. They're not going to be going to the festivals. They're not going to be having the feast. And it's going to look very much like the slavery from when they were in Egypt. This is the first time when they are carried off. They have been in the land since they came up from the Exodus. Remember what God said to Moses? I have heard the cries of my people. He knows what is going on. And so when Jeremiah writes this verse, he is telling us that God is still in control. He's not forgot. Well, you know what else it tells us? It tells us that our future, our hope, our peace, our welfare is not based on our circumstances. Because if that was true, Jeremiah couldn't write that. If that was true, Habakkuk couldn't say this. Because the circumstances are about to change for the worse. And if my circumstances change for the worse, and, and all my hope, my, my peace, my future, my welfare is based on my circumstances, and they fall apart, then I have no hope, I have no future, I have no peace, I have no welfare. However, if our future, our hope, our peace, and our welfare is based on a God who knows us and remembers us even when everything fails, then I still have a hope of future peace and welfare. Because I have a God who remembers His people. I have a God who is compassionate to His people. I have a God who is merciful and gracious to His people. So while everything around me can fail and can fall to the wayside and everything that I know be taken away from me, I can still recognize that God is in control because He has not forgotten me. And in the midst of the trouble, and this is why Jeremiah 29.1 is so much more powerful than the verse on graduation day, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of being carried off, in the midst of everything failing, God knows and He has a plan for my welfare and not for evil. Because we recognize that God is still in control. He has not been moved off His throne. But then Habakkuk says, Rejoice! That he will rejoice in the God of his salvation. A little word yet, small word to be so powerful, right? And it's actually packed with more information than you may realize. 
When he says yet, he is telling us that he is not going to ignore what is happening. He's not going to put on blinders and say, it's not really happening as the armies of the Chaldeans march beside him and he's sitting there going, nope, 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 nope. It's, it's all good. Right? He, he's not getting ready to engage in the power of positive thinking. Nope, nope, nope. It, it's, it's all good. Everything's fine. I can't see what's happening. He's, he's not putting on his blinders and trying to shut out what is going to happen. He sees what is happening, he recognizes for what it is, and he recognizes in that process that God is greater than anything that is about to happen. And when he comes to that recognition and he understands that, it leads him then to make a deliberative decision to worship. It doesn't drive him away. I mean, honestly, if I had a trembling body, my, my quivering lips, my shaky legs, if, if, if I was in, in that condition, there's probably nothing in me that's saying, hey, you need, you need to worship. I mean, honestly, if I felt that way, I'm in the bed with a man cold. Right? Right? Especially if I know everything and then elevate it to where everything's about to fall. The last thing I want to do is run to God and worship because everything I know, everything that is secure, everything that has given me security is about to be taken away from me. But Habakkuk says no, because yet, even though this is going to happen, I will rejoice. Because God is the God of His salvation. That, that's why. What is about to happen doesn't take away that fact. And look at what Habakkuk does in verse 18. Very interesting. Look at the first part. It says, Yet I will rejoice in the what? Lord. All caps, right? Then it says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Don't, don't miss that. Because what he says is that he's coming, he's going to rejoice, he's going to worship the Lord, the covenantal-keeping Lord. The Lord who says, I will be your God and you will be my people. The Lord who says, I will show steadfast love to you for all generations. The Lord meaning that I can know him in a personal, intimate relationship is possible. He says, I'm coming to worship that Lord, the Lord who remembers me. But then he says, I'm also going to worship the God of my salvation. And he switches to Elohim, recognizing God's power. That God is more powerful than the Chaldeans because it is God who has the power to save his life, not only on this earth, but more importantly, in the life to come. He says, everything around me is going to look like the Chaldeans are the most powerful force on the earth, but I know they are not. I know that the God of my salvation is stronger. Because He is the all-powerful God who has the ability to save. And so He comes to worship and so again, he's not paying attention to the, ex to the circumstances. He's not allowing that to dictate his worship. You ever want to say something, but you're not sure if you want to? I'll just put it out there. 
How many times have you let the circumstances of what's going on in your life or the weather or the day or whatever impact the way you worship? I'll just leave that there with no other commentary. But here Habakkuk says, I don't care about the circumstances. I'm going to worship the Lord and take joy in the God of my salvation. And he can do that because we know now, looking back at the full context and the full canon of Scripture, there is not a single instance in the Bible where God forgets His people. Not one single time. That is why Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says, we can rejoice when? Always. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because He is the Lord who has saved us and redeemed us. He is the God who saved us out of sin, who is stronger than everything that is going on. And it doesn't matter if the world falls apart. That fact doesn't change. And so we worship and we rejoice in the God of our salvation. But then finally, Habakkuk says, we rely on God's great strength. Right? Habakkuk's strength has failed him. Not sure, given his description, how he's not fallen off the wall that he's he's sitting atop. Right? And he's just, it's gone. And in moments like that, we've got to rely on God's great strength. Because he has none left. He relies on his strength. He's going to fall when the Chaldeans come in. He's not going to be able to keep what he has said and what he has written here. If we rely on our strength to get us through the trials and the troubles and the difficulties, we won't stand. We we don't have the strength within us. All right, again, going back to Sunday school. If you're not in Sunday school, you need to be in Sunday school. Sue brought up, you know, we always think as a believer that time when, you know, if somebody pulled a gun on and said, are you, are you a believer or not, that we, we, we would say yes. And, and she said that, and I didn't say that in Sunday school, but I remember so many sermons, and I don't even know if this story is true, but it, it, it's one of those preacher illustrations, Right? And it goes back to the days of the Soviet Union where, 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 where their uh, group of believers are, are worshiping by themselves and all of a sudden two Soviet or, or, or Russian army officers burst in with their guns you know, drawn and going, if you're a believer of Christ, stand up, we're going to shoot you. And then just everybody who's not and who's afraid you know, goes out of the, the, the room and it's, it's left with just a group of people who are, who are standing there and then they put their guns down and go, don't worry, we're believers too, right? You, you've heard that story, right? I mean, everybody's heard that story. Even in that moment, we, we like to think that we would stand. And if we can stand in that moment, it's only because God gives us the strength to stand. We can't do it on our own. We've got to have, we've got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to have that strength. Because let's face it, we like to talk about how we can stand if that was to happen. But when this trial or temptation comes over here, that, that strength we profess gets a little rickety. 
So Habakkuk says, look, I've got to rely on God's great strength. And if I rely on God's great strength, he says, he's my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. All of a sudden, we have the image of Habakkuk going from quivering lips and shaky legs to feet as swift and as strong as a deer who could just, you know, bounces right up the mountain to the high places. Similar to Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. With, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. Both here in Habakkuk and there in Isaiah and in other places in Scripture where it talks about the heights going up to the high places, it represents dominion and conquest. It, it, it's one where victory emerges because you defeated your enemies. Isaiah and Habakkuk write this to remind us that the domain of believers is the heights, not the valleys. Do we walk through them? Absolutely. God is there with us. But then God takes us out of the valleys and gives us the strength to, uh, to obtain the heights, to, to mount up with, with feet like deer and wings like eagles so we can soar to the heights because even though everything may collapse, not us. Because we were not made for that. We ascend to the heights because of the God of our salvation. Because that again is, is, is the domain of, of, of believers. We're not to be a defeated people. We're not to act like a defeated people. At the beginning of Habakkuk, he's acting like a defeated person. I don't know how he had the strength to get up on the wall, given the shape that he was in. But now through this, he says, no, 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 I'm not defeated. I recognize that God who strengthens me has a place for me of victory. And He's going to give me the feet, the strength, the, the, the steadfastness that I need to assail and to tread the high places. And so when we get here to the end of Habakkuk, do you realize what, is, what has happened? We get to the end, these last three verses, and what we see is that Habakkuk 2.4, but the righteous shall live by faith, has been fulfilled. Habakkuk recognized that he's going to live. Though everything else around him fails, though he's frightened, he is going to live. And not only live, he's going to have victory. Because he's going to continue to trust in the God despite everything that is happening, or rather yet, when everything happens. And as a result, he lives. And the same is true for us today. All those who place their faith in Jesus Christ shall live. All those who place their faith in Jesus Christ shall be given the strength like the deer to, to tread on high places because our ultimate possession and position is a place of victory through Jesus Christ. That's what we have. That's what we are promised. And so we must not let the circumstances in our life, family, job, nation, world, what have you, break our confidence in the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. That's how 
we can, that's why I should say we can have an exclamation point faith. Because we know the God that Habakkuk writes about. We know that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have victory over death and victory on this life and victory to come though the world may fall away. And knowing that and clinging to what we know and maybe no better time for us in our life to cling to what we know than rather than what we see to recognize that we have that victory. And we're going to live in that victory. And we're going to live with unbreakable confidence because we know now how to live by faith. We know what to do. We have seen and we have been instructed from God's Word to demonstrate to the world that indeed the righteous shall live by faith. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transformed lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.